0: about this story right from the uh, outset. There is a crowd gathered. This is immediately the crowd started cutting branches from the trees. The only variation you see across all of the stories, and I'll explain why later, is the type of branches that they explain. It's not just uh, Palm Sunday. They actually laid branches of trees uh, down as well as the one uh, of the gospel says palm leaves. And so... uh, we can take from that that both were laid down so branches and palm leaves and cloaks were laid down as Jesus rode into the uh, gate of the city on a donkey or not even just a donkey the cult of a donkey like a little baby donkey (laughs) not even a big powerful strong one carried like a baby donkey And so we know the story is, it it looks like it doesn't make sense, like so much of what the Bible talks about uh, doesn't seem to make sense at first. But we do know that the crowd was ready to make him king. The crowd wanted Jesus to be a king. They'd actually done it before. We see a few chapters earlier that Jesus had performed a miracle and then it said he had to take off and, and leave where they were because they wanted to make him king. It specifically says that. He, he had, because by force they were going, they, they had decided that he was going to be something that he had, uh, that they had decided he should be. The incredible thing about our King Jesus is that the t- type of king that he came to be was not the type of king that they sought to make him out to be. And that, I'm going to explain, has a lot, or how Jesus uh, collects this donkey and rides into the gate on a donkey actually has a lot to do with how he was answering their request. See, so he didn't turn out to be the king that they wanted. They wanted a king that was going to overthrow the government of the day that was oppressive and abusive. They, had, they wanted a king that was going to come and make Israel the greatest nation in the world. They wanted a king that was going to come and restore everything and make it all right, but in power and might he was going to do it. You know, they had this great picture of what this king was going to be. But instead, their king... Just a week later, was crucified, died on a cross, and was laid in a borrowed grave. We know he was raised three days later, victorious, but he still wasn't the king that they had decided he should be. Have you ever had someone turn out to not be who you thought they should be? (laughs) Just on occasion. I think sometimes we make an image of people because we need them to be something to us. And people often disappoint us. I think um, I've realised I often wonder about pastor's kids and you notice that they, they tend to like turn out like they either really know God or they really reject God like this is like I've known a lot of pastors kids in my life and and there's not really an in-between ground and what I what I think that some of that has to do with is the fact that they actually see the church leaders for what they are so there's no misconception they can't just they either need to really know God for themselves they're not going to sit in church because mom and dad said because they know how imperfect mom and dad actually are <laughs> um this morning, I locked my keys in my car. Well, actually, last night, uh, my husband locked my keys in my car because uh, he always locks the car and I don't, but my keys were still in the car. And so this morning when we were about to load everything into the car, um, the, I couldn't get into the car. Uh, so, <laughs> And Duncan has actually been recalled to the, um, the walk for justice that we're going to after the service. So he's going to be policing that event. Uh, so he was there, he's all the way in the city and can't actually like leave <laughs> or help me out at all, so we were stuck. Um, Tash came up with a million solutions and I was like, you know when something has upset you and you're like, I don't, I don't care how logical your solution is, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I was like, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> um so i was being a little bit irrational um but yeah let me assure you my kids are completely aware that uh there is no perfection in leaders there's no perfection in people that follow jesus so you've either got to know jesus for yourself or not sometimes we have this habit of making so- someone out to so- to be something particularly our church or christian leaders and sometimes we blame god when those people don't turn out to be who we thought they were right that's kind of a little life lesson, but on the, as a side note, we often actually try to make God into something that he's not. I've heard it put that we, try to, we, we are meant to be made in God's image. We are made in God's image. It's problematic when we try to make God in our image. And here we have a crowd that was attempting to make a king in the image that they desired. They wanted him to be a certain kind of king. But he wasn't going to be that kind of king. They wanted him to establish their kingdom in the world. He wanted them to establish his kingdom in the world. They wanted him to establish their kingdom in the world. See the difference? He wanted them to establish his kingdom in the world. If you write notes, you can title the next point Peaceful, Not Passive. Sometimes we imagine this meek Jesus to be somewhat passive in his approach to things. You know, he did it all from a a super spiritual kind of way and he didn't, when you understand who he was and the dynamics of the day, you understand that this Jesus that we follow was absolutely not passive, but he was peaceful. He didn't do things the way that they the way they thought that the kingdom was going to be established would be through the way that every other kingdom was advanced in the world at that day, through warfare and battles and kings being overthrown and people being pushed out and, uh, and, you know, uh, capturing nations and all of that sort of thing that even still goes on today in that part of the world, they imagined that Jesus was going to lead them like that. And he had no intention of doing that. So this donkey that he rode in on, sometimes I've heard it preached that he did it to fulfill the prophecy. That's wrong. The prophecy spoke of a significant moment in the life of Jesus. He didn't do what he did to simply fulfill a weird prophecy that had been spoken Just like every other prophecy, those things that were prophetically declared about Jesus in the Old Testament were actually declared because they were significant things about our Lord and Saviour. They were significant events, significant details about who he was going to be. He didn't just do it to fulfil the prophecy, but actually this is a significant moment and Jesus has done it to show the people there something. The donkey is more important than we think or first thought. It's not just because the prophecy said it. See, a donkey was used in times of peace. Wars were used in battle. Uh, horses were used in battles. You didn't take a donkey to war with you. Donkeys, on the other hand, were service animals. Interestingly, the chapter just before, and if you know, the Bible actually doesn't, it's not set out originally in chapters and verses, so if it's immediately before, whether it's a chapter apart or not, it's immediately before in the scripture. And so just before this story about Jesus riding in on a donkey are the chapters where Jesus teaches about servant leadership. In three out of the four Gospels, it's directly before the section you'll see titled The Triumphant Entry. Jesus teaches on servant leadership. The donkey was a working animal, not a war animal. And Jesus paints a picture immediately of the kind of king that he came to be. Second point is the ground. So the donkey is more important than we think. The ground covering is more important than we think. Let me teach you a little bit for a second. Go back a few hundred years to Israel in the wilderness and we have the Feast of Tabernacles where they build in, uh, in Jewish, it's the Sakot, and they build these uh, the, the tabernacle and in Jewish culture afterwards they would build build tabernacles to celebrate this uh, this thing that occurred in the wilderness and the whole point of the Succot Festival, the whole point about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is about welcoming the presence of God in our lives, right? He, the tabernacle was there so that was an instruction given by God to build in... The wilderness, so that they could have a place where God could dwell with His people. It's about His presence coming to dwell Im- amongst them. Interestingly, the instruction was to build the tabernacle was given to build, and they celebrated by building these uh, the the tabernacles or the the. Uh, What do they call them now? I can't remember, but they they actually still build them out of what they call the four species, Uh, palm branches. Yeah, the booths, thank you, you're there. Uh, They build it out of the palm branches and the branches of two different types of trees and a type of fruit tree. And these branches that were laid that Jesus rode in on are the same branches that they built the tabernacle out of and the same that the Jewish people continued to celebrate God's presence coming to dwell within them. And on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they take one of these types of branches and lay it down or beat it down even on the floor and they pray a prayer or it's a prayer song Hoshana Rabbah, that literally means a voice is bringing news and says. And what they're declaring is the Messiah coming. They're also singing a, a celebration of God coming to dwell within them. And so when these leaves were placed down on the road in front of Jesus riding in, The image that they would have seen, the image that they would recognize, is this celebration that they celebrated every year where those leaves were banged or placed down on the floor at the end of that Feast of Tabernacles. They would have gone to that place in their mind. And so we see a picture of Jesus riding in. And they welcome a king just like the people had been asking for their Messiah to come, just like God had promised his presence would come to dwell with them when they built that tabernacle, God was declaring that he had come to dwell with his people. Welcome. So we have this call to welcome the king of kings into our lives, not an image of God that we desire to build, not one that serves us, but one that requires us to serve his kingdom. Matthew 25. So they welcomed the king, but not long... After this story, he talks about how to really welcome him. He actually teaches them how they can welcome the king that he came to be. Just four chapters later, verse 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 34, then the king will say, and this is Jesus teaching his disciples, by the way, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. He sets out actually and speaks of judgment between those who live in this way and those who don't. He speaks about inheriting a kingdom. He speaks about inheriting the kingdom of God and how we do that. And what is the kingdom of God if it isn't the presence of God in our lives? Heaven comes to earth when his presence is made real in our lives, when we worship, when we give our lives over to him, when we serve him. So this call goes out and he teaches his people how to welcome the king. J.C spoke of, out of Isaiah 5, verse 9, and it's just one of hundreds of places in the Old Testament. He finished on Isaiah 5, verse 9. We could pick it up from Isaiah 5, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord has declared, uh, Surely the great houses will become desolate, fine mansions will be left. It's, nope, that's not the one. Go. No, that's not the right one. <laughs> Can you go to the next oh yeah, it is, sorry, it's, we go nine and on. It goes on to say, uh, it's God's judgment against the, uh, he said, he's talking about his vineyard. And he's talking about how uh, Israel was supposed to be his vineyard and bear good fruit. And then it describes what bad fruit is. He said, where I sought justice, I found oppression. And when I sought righteousness, I found violence. We want to rise up sometimes in violence in response to what we see is wrong with the world, but Jesus says he jud- or God has said that he judges that as bad fruit. He wants us to seek justice instead of oppression, to be peaceful instead of violent, to be righteous and not to do things the world's way, but to do things the way that he set out. When we seek and desire more of God in our lives, he's given us the way. And anyone who has walked in these things that God has called us to will will know that when you step out and take action according to what God has put on your heart and what he's called us to. And when you love somebody else, then you find that God's presence becomes so much more real in your life. I mean, I encountered God in a very real way when I was uh, a teenager and and. You know God's presence was incredible, and and you know God's healing and restoration in worship and all of those things were amazing. But I've never known the presence of God like when I go into, you know, when I've been sitting with someone in their darkest moment and been able to speak the light of God's word to them, or when I've been able to help someone practically and they encounter the love of God because of the love that like I'm able to demonstrate because of what God's done in my life. Never has God's presence been more real to me than in those moments. See, we invite God into our lives with a salvation prayer, but we give up our lives to Him like He asks us to when we invite others into our life. We can stop short by stopping at just inviting God into our life and asking him to be part of our lives. God, come and be part of my world. But he wants us to take a step further and be part of his kingdom to give up our lives in service to others. So practically, one of the things that we're doing straight after the service there's a walk for justice in the city it's a palm sunday walk and we're going and it's an active demonstration for justice for refugees because no matter what you think of government policy and no matter where you stand on politics four years for people who've committed no crime to be imprisoned is too long four years for kids to go without access to good education and health care is too long to be a country where someone could flee from our place of care to Fiji and be declared a refugee from Australia, which by, actually happened by international law. Someone from one of the detention facilities fled on a boat from the island, landed in Fiji and appealed to the court there to the international court to be declared a refugee and their treatment was so bad, considered so bad by international law that they were given refugee status from Australia. And so what a whole group of not just Christian, but it was initiated by some Christian groups and they've allowed other uh, organisations to come alongside and uh, there is a peaceful demonstration of both saying we welcome the king, so all the Christian groups who are walking are saying actively we are welcoming the king of kings into our lives by doing this, but also carrying that message of justice that God requires in his word for people who are under oppression. And so uh, that's happening in the city, and you're welcome to join a few of us who've committed to going. Um, We'll run into Duncan, who's policing it, Should be interesting. I'm looking forward to getting a photo with the police and the, you know, banners and it'll be fun. I'm going to ask the band to come. Because that's just practically one way. But there are so many ways that God challenges us to invite people into our lives. Yes, to ask our government to consider their international aid or their acceptance of refugees requires us to accept that that would deplete or have a financial burden on our nation. For it, That may not be in our best interests. But it is in the interests of someone who is suffering far more than we could ever imagine in the place that we're in right now. When God asks you to give, even when we give to church, it's part of that understanding that we have a responsibility to bear the burden of those who can't. Because the church is there for all and we support so many that, uh, that couldn't, be, couldn't do certain things for themselves. And so we give. When we invite someone into our lives and allow them that space in our life because they're alone or they're you know, without support or because you know, it's, for some of us that's been because they haven't got a place to stay that's safe. When we share what we have with those that don't have, it's very practically enacting, welcoming the king. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. Was sick or in prison, and you came to visit me. If you've ever visited someone in prison, actually, it's like an entire in in uh, Perth, they're kind of out of the way, and it requires you to go a fair distance, and you've got to check in, and you get like this entire like you have to fill out. You know, like it actually is a burden to to bear to go and do that requires something of you requires you to lay down your life. All of these things require, because if someone is going without and we provide, it means we have less for ourselves. It requires something of you. It doesn't say, I was a friend and you welcomed me in. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You don't know what a stranger's intentions are. You don't know, you know, you don't know whether good, bad, or indifferent. But the word of God requires us to welcome those, even those we don't know about or, you know, that are different, that are, a stranger by definition is not, some, you know, it's not saying, oh, I, I invited my brother over for dinner the other day, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sharing God's hospitality. But those that are different from us, those that we don't necessarily understand, this is welcoming the King of Kings. If you've struggled to connect with God, can I challenge you to embrace what He's called you to and watch how His presence invades your life when you walk that way? When you walk in ways of justice and righteousness, when you walk in ways of generosity, when you walk in ways that show. God's love in a very real way to a world that so desperately both needs that practical help and love and most of all needs Jesus. Watch how his kingdom invades your life when you welcome the King of Kings.